Thank you so very much, Pastor Mark. And you all that know me for many, many years know I'm not great. I need help to get on the stage. <laughs> so we're thankful this morning, though, for the wonderful things that God has done for us and through us, through our families and your families and the friendship through the years. And it's a wonderful thing to be able to, to know God and, and grow in the Lord. And certainly not anything good we have done or can do, but it's a grace of God and the cost that Jesus paid at Calvary that everything comes to us. Once we can tie in with him and get, get in here under his umbrella, then we can, we can function. And I want to read to you this morning from Philippians 1, 6, and I want to turn Philippians 4, 10 through 13 for our lesson. Philippians 1, 6. Being confident of this very thing, that he which has begun a good work in you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. And I turn to four. But I rejoice in the Lord greatly that now at the last your care for me hath flourished again, wherein you were also careful, but you lacked opportunity. Not that I speak in respect of want, for I have learned in whatever stage I am in there to be content. I know how to be abased and abound, how to abound in everywhere in all things. I am instructed to be full and to be hungry. I have the uh, abound in suffering and need. I can do all things through Christ which strengthen me. God bless his word to you, his people. It's a very wonderful thing to be able to hear the voice of God as Paul spoke to us here, being confident of this one thing. Being confident in God is a great thing. And I want to have the use of subject this morning. We need to rest in the Lord. Rest in the Lord. The writer of Hebrews in the fourth chapter says, we have entered into rest, we can find peace and joy and happiness But if we don't enter into rest, we'll find heartaches and sorrow and we'll struggle. We have to learn how to enter into the rest of God. As we look in the rest of God, we find that God is always, as Pastor already read this morning, He is faithful, His hands upon us, He's guiding us, directing us, and keeping us. We must be confident in what God has said to us and never lose that. The writer of Hebrews 10.35 says, Cast not away your confidence, for in your confidence there is great reward, and great things will come to you. God looks down upon us this morning, whatever we're going through in life, if we have our confidence in God, God looks down upon you, and God appreciates you keeping your confidence in Him, regardless of how you feel. Paul, when he wrote to the Philippian church, he was in jail, suffering great pain. But Paul's life taught him a lot. I had an opportunity when I was in college to study the life of Paul. One of my professors, Dr. Constantine, Atlantic Christian, wanted to know how I was, how, what in the world I went in the ministry for. Someone had told him I was a, a broker and a farmer and making a couple of dollars a week in my business. And he wanted to know why could I do that to go into preaching. And he wanted me to write him a paper, tell him why you're a Christian, not use the word God or Jesus or the Holy Spirit. Don't use those, the Trinity. 
So I chose the life of Paul and studied his life in depth. Paul the Apostle was a strong-willed, great philosopher, great teacher, wise man. But Paul was a fool about many things because he did not know Jesus. But on the road to Damascus, when Paul met Jesus in Acts 9, his life turned around. And he became very dedicated to the cause of Christ. And from that day on, after Ananias put his hands on Paul, and he received the power of the Holy Ghost and received sight so he could go back to seeing, his life was spent in search of the greatness of God. And so he could say, being confident that God is part of work in you will keep it until that day, until the day that you come in his presence. He'll keep that, keep you if you allow him to do that. In our world today, we have many problems. I read the paper this week, sir, we need 30,000 more troops now to answer the call that we have around the world for support. The same day in our local paper, we had a letter from the incoming governor saying we need, we're going to be short 300 million this year in the state of North Carolina. Next year, we'll need another 500 to keep up what we need to do. So we think about all of that and the economy and people out of work and problems we face and the great problems of life bring much depression to people's lives. I was in Fort Bragg a few days ago to visit one of our members with Pastor Mark. He ran into a, a colonel out there and he said, are you a chaplain? I said, no, I'm a hospital. I have been a hospital chaplain. He said, well, come in here and, and pray with this man. He said, I'm going to have surgery. And he's scared to death, and I don't want a man to die on the operating table. He said, come on in. It doesn't matter if you're in the army or not. Come on in. So I went in with him and prayed with his brother, and he calmed down, and he, he got along okay. I didn't hear anything else from him. But there's so many people today in our world that, that are depressed. They have many, many problems. And so it's a time for all of us that are Christians to simply tie into the faith of God and the confidence of God and not shake and whatever comes our way. To you, you, Paul, you may have suffered something. Don't let that shake your faith because God is with you in all things. He is with us. So we can consecrate this morning on that. We need to be satisfied. Paul said, when he, and he said, I have learned how to be content. Well, when you're content, the Bible, the dictionary says that is you're satisfied the where you are. I had a friend of mine that brought me into the sins of God. Dr. William Garvin in 1951, uh, he said, he had a little saying, he said, I am satisfied with an unsatisfied satisfaction. In other words, I don't want to stay here where I am, but I'm satisfied with an unsatisfied satisfaction. And I thought that was really his philosophy that he had got at himself when I was in college. I studied under Dr. Oliver uh, North Whitehead and Dr and process of reality. And Dr. Whitehead, that was his theme in life, uh, to try to find satisfaction where you were, but to move on with your studies and your mind and what you could do to a greater and more marvelous thing. But we can't go around in life being frustrated all the time about everything that comes our way because life will teach you a lot of, a lot of things. I'm reading a book now written by Dr. Uh, not Dr. Coach Smith of Carolina on leadership, the Carolina way. It's a wonderful little book. My wife bought it me for Christmas. And he says, you know, we got to find out where we are 
And when them young guys go to Chapel Hill to play basketball, one of them came in his office with a jacket on, the greatest basketball player in the world given to him by McDonald's. And Coach Smith said to him, box that up, son, and mail it back home. You won't need it here. Because you'll find out in a very few days that you're not that great. I, I used to go out, they let us play golf at Finley when I was there as a chaplain in 83 and 4, and I, I didn't have, but they charged us $5, which was very reasonable. And I was a lousy golfer then, a lousy golfer now. But I played a case, and I used to go out there sometimes in the afternoon, I'd get off work and just hang around the club, so hoping I'd run into Coach Smith. And once in a while, we'd get to talking. And he would say, you know, some of these boys come in here and think they're great from down in Greenville and Jacksonville and Fedville and all over the world. And says, you know, all I had to do is put them out on the front and say, you play front this afternoon. And he comes back and his nose are bleeding, his lips are bleeding, and he can't hardly get in the, in the locker room because this guy beat him up all afternoon with that ball to see if he can play front. And he said, I don't believe I need to be in the front, coach. Let me play back way back there in the back. So what happens when we really get into the real things of life, we don't, we're, not, we're not front people all the time. A lot of us have to be in the middle and the center and the back. But if we can be satisfied with where we are, we can probably get to the front because God will help us. And so today we find many people in the world that, that are struggling to get to the front. But we can never get to the front until we're satisfied where we are. I have a saying I've been holding on to for 40 or 50 years. When you have problems, decide in life where you are and run from there. Decide exactly where you're at, what you've got to work with, what your situation is, and size it up. And then run from there. Get God to help you, and you'll, you'll come out okay. If we try to run way out there ahead of where we are, we'll get in some big trouble. People have problems in life today they cannot solve. And I was thinking this week as I was talking to a fine young couple a week or so ago. Great people have a little problem, nothing they can't solve with the help of God. But it, about 15 years ago, I worked with a fine couple from Lamathon, North Carolina. I had a seminar down there in the church on intimacy, relationships, and negotiation. Those are three things I taught when I was doing family seminars uh, for couples. And this one man there, a minister, sent his, his family up to see me. And I worked with him quite a while, about six or seven or eight months. And we made a little bit of progress. But I said to them about the last of December, I think we need to have a family meeting. One of the fellows I started down there to Chapel Hill, William Glasser's philosophy was, that's get the family together and see what we can do as a family. So they agreed that they wanted to get, get me down to come down. So I, I never, hardly ever counseled anybody's home, but these, these were very nice people. And so I agreed to go down on my birthday and meet with their daughter from Thompson's, Thomasville. She was married to a doctor and had a daughter in Western Carolina. She was a junior and had a son in state, was a senior. And so we met that afternoon about five hours. We took a little break about 2.30 for cup of coffee and a, a bacon lettuce tomato sandwich they're laid in the house fix that for us and we just went around and around talking and listening and talking and so the little girl the young girls in western carolina raised her hand and says dr altman could i have a few words to say i said yes ma'am you can you you're part of the group so she came up and said this now what i think we need to do here is stop and recognize exactly where we are 
said, growing up, my daddy, I thought he was the greatest man I could have on the face of the earth. Said he'd ride go-karts with us. He'd ride horses with us. He'd go swimming with us. We'd play tennis together. We had a wonderful time growing up. And I thought mama was a drill sergeant. Said mama was tough. Said, but I've been away in college for a couple of years away from mama and daddy. She said, I've learned that my mother was just trying to discipline us for life. My father was trying to have fun with us so we'd enjoy life. Both of them played a great role in our lives, she said. But I recognize this afternoon after being with you and mom and daddy and my sister and my brother, this is the baby of the group, she said, what we need to do is come together and recognize where we are in life and what we need is forgive one another for all the hurt we have done and hurt each other in our own selfishness and get God to forgive us and we need to pray for one another and we need to build our family on what we are, what we've got. And she said, what do you think about that? I said, I think you spoke the most profound words I've ever heard in my life. And I know the most things have been said today. So we agreed together. They would, they would have a little uh, confession session. And they would talk openly. And then we'd have join hands and pray. And it was a wonderful time of closure. And then the mother came out and she said to me about a two weeks before, she said, what could I get him for Christmas? I said, buy him a nice Bible. And let him start reading. This is her husband. He was an engineer, a very brilliant man, but not much of a scholar of the Bible. And I said, you know what? I think you ought to get you one also. And you go to reading it. And so she whipped those two Bibles out and said, here's your Bible and here's my Bible. This is what Pastor Altman said we ought to get. And said, look at this Bible. You know, we left there and they have had Many, many years of happiness together, got grandchildren, that little grandson about like our, our great-grandson, about two and a half years old, beautiful child, running around playing with his grandpa, and they had a wonderful life. The mother died last year. She was a wonderful, wonderful lady, and they were always kept in touch with me, and you know, but what happened, that little girl, their daughter, really saved their life. They were fixing to get a divorce, and she's fixing to kill him. He thought he didn't give her the house and a couple hundred thousand dollars. And I said, no, no, no. She was a countant. She drove around in a Mercedes convertible, kind of like Brother Gary Gordy used to have. And she smoked them small cigars. She's tough. I told, told her husband, I said, you think you're going to get by with giving her a little bit of money? This lady's an accountant. I said, what she's going to do to you, my brother, you're not going to like it. I said, you're going to be so poor and so stripped and so stressed. And I said, I want to say to you, if you have a little love for her, get you a fan and start fanning it every day. Fanning it. Get that blaze to going. And he laughed and he told me that at that afternoon, said, you know what you told me? He said, I've been doing that. And they, they had a wonderful life. Well, you know what? The little daughter brought them into reality. Paul said, I know how to be without anything. I know how to have everything. I've been hungry. I've been full. But I, one thing I know, I'm content. And once we can reach the place of contentment, then we can move into a place that we can have compassion on others. It's important for you as a Christian this morning to rest in God and always, not always think about yourself. You've got to think about others. You get out of here, as Brother Pastor Knight would say, get out of the box and see what you can do for others. And my friends today, we need to realize that, that God wants to help us. And once we can understand that and get 
some compassion in our lives, we can find out what really is really cooking in life and making us good. I love to read the story of the Good Samaritan in Luke 10, 25 through 37. It said, a young lawyer came up to Jesus and said, good master, what must I do to have eternal life? And Jesus said to him, you know the law, you Jewish boy, keep the law, love your father and mother, honor your mother and father, and love your neighbors, you love yourself. He said, well, who, who is my neighbor? I don't know who my neighbor is. Who should be helping? And Jesus told him a story. He said that a man left Jerusalem, went down to Jericho, and was robbed and beaten, left beside the road to die, beaten up by thieves. And all of a sudden, the pastor of the church, a priest came by and looked at him and said, I know I need to help him, but he looks terrible. He looks like he needs help, but I've got to get on down to the church and take care of my sermon. And a few minutes, the Levite music, musician came by and looked at him. He said, no, he looks terrible. He's bleeding and dying. And he looks like he needs some help. But I've got to get on down and get ready for the choir. And long rode the Samaritan, Jesus said. And he pulled his mule over to the side of the horse and went down and picked the man up and said, pal, says you're in trouble. And so he gave him a little drink of wine and stimulated him a little bit. And then he poured some oil on his wounds and he put him on his beast mule or horse while he was riding, carried him to the inn, put him in the inn and said, I'll pay this for him and you take care of him and I'll be back by a few days and if he owes any more money, I'll pay it for him. And Jesus said to him, who do you think his neighbor was? Well, of course, he said the Samaritan was his neighbor. He did good for him. Jesus said, you go out and do likewise. You go out and do good for people that are beat up and bruised and hurting. And my friends, would you please pardon me? I don't know why I've got to drink this water. I guess I watched Bruce Martin on Saturday night drinking his all the time. And people I watched drinking, I never did drink water just a few days ago. Well, listen, he said, you go out and find people that are bruised and hurting. In our world today, the world has beat people up. They're bruised. They're hurting. They're, everywhere you turn, there's people needing help. And we as a church must rest in God and do the things we can do for God. And when we run into these hurting people, I was at um, the Waffle Place Christmas morning getting our breakfast out there, a waffle for them and I about 11.30, and a fella come drifting in there, and I thought, here's my man for the day. Sat down beside me, and he had a long beard, and he was wearing a overall jacket. He looked terrible, and he said, you want to get a little breakfast? And I said to the little girl, well, how much is my bill? And what would he like to have? And she said, what do you think he'd like to get? It'd be about $7, Mr. Altman. I said, it's no problem. So I gave her a 20. She gave me, took his seven out, my $5 for our waffle, and two patty sausage, and I gave her a couple of bucks and came, came out of there with about $4 out of that 20. And I felt real good because I had done what the pastor said do. I witnessed to him and bought his breakfast for him and gave her a couple of dollars. And I said, I looked, well, I got a little bit here tonight. What I've got to do is skip going to Chris's and uh, Saturday night because I don't have the funds now. So I know what I'll do. I'll run over the heart to the weenie world and get me a hamburger and give them a cheeseburger. I got a cheeseburger. And, you know, I worked that $20 out. And, and of course, I know they missed me at Chris's last night because I'm a regular over there. But I, my money gave out before the week gave out. You ever had that experience? But I felt real good 
because I did what the pastor said. I bought this fellow, and he said, my name is Mr. Beard. I said, my name is Gardner Altman. I go to Calvary Assembly Church. I'd like to have you come visit us. He said, I will sometime, and I'm going to kind of watch out for him. He looks like that boy on the Oak Ridge Quarry that has a beard. We're down here, and look, you know, he's, he said, hey, won't we recognize him, long beard. But that's all right. You can have a long beard or a short beard or no beard at all. If you have your heart right with God, you're okay. There was a time years ago when hippies, you know, they'd get around or their long hair. Parish probably remember that. But, you know, we had a couple drift in the church here, long hair, and one had black, one had red. And I said, John Skipper, I don't know where these boys are saved or what's going on. I talked to both of them. They said they'd receive Jesus. And so we let them in the choir. And some of the fellows, people in the choir, Brother Sister Joanne will probably remember that. But anyway, he, they were good, good singers. They just longed to be hippies. They was going through a part-time, you know, that people just wanted to be free. And I don't know how in the world making your hair long and your beard long makes you free. It would sort of put me in a bind to try to comb that and clean it. I wouldn't know how to handle it. I just, I'd be lost when it comes to taking care of it. Some people can, but I couldn't. I, can't, I, can't, I wore mine a little bit long years ago, but I've got where I wear it short now. It's easy to handle. But listen, we got to see people with souls. Those of us that are Christians, we've got to see people that are hurting and bruising, and we've got to, win. We've got to reach out to them, no matter what, how they're dressed and how long their hair is, and it doesn't matter. We've got to reach out to them. Because that's what Jesus did to us. He reached out. It was in 1958, 50 years ago. Garden Jr. will probably remember this. I ran into a friend of mine that used to be a very wealthy, wealthy farmer, Mr. Two, out in Sampson County. And back about 39, he was a buyer for Woods Feed Mill Company in Benson, a very wealthy farmer. I remember he had two things I remember about him. He had a 1939 Oldsmobile, black with white tires, beautiful car. He came to see my dad and bought daddy's soybeans in the fall. And he had a horse, a black, jet black saddle horse with a star in his forehead and stocking, white stocking feet and had a white saddle. And I went down to the farm with him, went to his farm with my dad to buy some sweet corn and pepper from him and stuff. And you know, I told my dad, I'd really love to ride that horse. And, and Mr. Mr. Two said, well, son, I would let you ride my horse because I don't let anybody ride my horse. He said, if you want to borrow my car, you can borrow my car, but I don't let anybody ride my horse because people don't ride the same way, so I can't let you ride my horse. But this fellow, he, he started drinking liquor and, and gambling at a house out in the country where a fellow ran a gambling house and a, a, a sort of a little city club out in the country, and, he got, and his wife left him flat, and he had three children, two girls and one boy, and they, they didn't follow around. They sort of cut him off. From 39, when I first met him, to 1958, which is about 21 years, his life had gone downhill, drinking and gambling. He lost a beautiful 200-acre farm, a beautiful wife, a beautiful home. He lost everything he had. And what he was doing then, he was sleeping down there in the Liberty Stables of Mr. Lewis Bear, had a little room about about the size of our prayer room, not as large as our prayer room back here. He was there place to hang his clothes on the wall. No, had running water where he watered the horses. He became the stable man. He wasn't a stable boy because he was about 60 years old then, or maybe 63 or 4. But he was just a bum around the city of Dunn. 
ate a little restaurant there beside the truck stop, Coast's Cafe, and from time to time I'd run into him and loan him three or four dollars to get over. His money would give out before his month was gone, and he'd be without food, and I'd give him a little money, and the tenant station, they just said, no, you go wasting your money to give that man. He paid me back every time when he got his check the first of the month. But he ran up to me Christmas Eve in 1958. We were pastored up in Andrew and living out there and done on our farm. And he ran up to me and said, Preach Hobbins said, I want to, I want to borrow $5 from you. And I said, okay, I had a $5. I don't want to get a $5 bill. He said, I want four singles and four quarters. So I went into the station. I said, Mr. Dennis, change this $5 bill. And I wanted to let Mr. Two have this for money. He said, oh, I wouldn't do that, preacher. So I went out and gave him, the, gave him the money. There were two little boys with him, one about six years old and one about eight or nine years old, running along with him. So he whipped that money out and gave one of them $2 and two quarters and $2 and two quarters. And he said, you boys run on down to the drugstore. I'll meet you in about five minutes. So he turned back to me and he says, Brother Altman, I wanted my little grandsons to know there's one man in the world that had filed all with a faith in me. One man in the world. And he cried. And I said, Mr. Two, I said, that you, you, I'm sorry you reached this place in your life. He said, you know, he said, I, I'm in terrible shape. So I gave him the money. He said, I want to pay you back right now. He had money. He said, I want to give you a dollar for Christmas to you. So I put it in my pocket and folded it up. Kept it for several weeks. And I was at, found myself up at Andrew one day around visiting. And normally out in the country, you know, there's country folks and there's little small town people. They, anytime around lunchtime, they'd invite you for lunch and invite you other times. We had a lot of good people in the church always inviting me for lunch if I'd go by and eat with them. But I found myself out in the country visiting Charles Guy, and he had a big farm and a chicken business out there. And, and you know, I got there about 1 o'clock, and he'd already had lunch, and he and his wife, and so I didn't have any lunch. So I went back to the store, and I didn't have any money except that $1 I tucked away. And that was about, the, about, it's been about six or seven weeks, and I, and I bought myself a, a cracker and a Coke. And I sat out there in my car and drank that cracker and ate the cracker and drank the Coke and said, you know, God, that was a blessing, such a marvelous blessing for this man to share with me. But I, I went back to see him a day or two later, and he showed me his little quarters where he was living in, and I said to him, you know, this is a wonderful little place you have here. He said, how can you say that, Brother Altman? This is where the gospel started. Mr. Two, you live in, you've you got, a, you got a, a, little, a little bedroom. You have a cot and some nails to hang your clothes on. And, well, Jesus was born in a stable, just like this here. He, would, he didn't have a room. He was born in a stable. This is where the gospel all started, in a, in a, in, in a stable. You know something? What you need to do is get back home to your church out at Stony Run People love you. You go home. I know the pastor out there, his name is Herbert Carter. He's now Dr. Carter, a great man of God. He'd love to help you. I know Brother Carter's a great man. He said, you reckon they accept me back? I said, I know they would. I know some of you people out there, and I know Brother Carter well. So I talked to Brother Carter, and we prayed together that day in that stable. And he come back to the church. He never got his wife back. He never got another saddle horse again. He never had a beautiful Oldsmobile. Well, what he did get back was the joy and the peace in the Holy Ghost. Hallelujah. And his children began to love him. 
And he went back to a friend of mine there and done, picked him up every Sunday morning night. Two guys there offered to get him and take him out to Sunday school and church. One of them was Hubert Tart, one of my cousins, is old in a rest home today. And the other one was Henry Whittington. Henry's very sick. Both of them are old and sick now. It's been a long time, 50 years. Take him. Every Sunday they carried him to Sunday school and they carried him to church. And he was given a suit. I said, he didn't have any clothes. He said, I said, you get you some clothes. You go down to Mr. Bear you work for. I know Mr. Bear is a good man. He'll send you a suit and you pay a dollar a week or whatever you can pay. He went down to Mr. Bear's and Mr. Bear said, I'll be glad to give you all. He said, he said, preacher, you know me. I said, I sure do, Mr. Bear. The first suit of clothes I ever had in my life, I bought it from you and shoes and you gave me a real good deal. He said, I'll give him one. And he got back in the church and lived 15 or 20 years to an old man, died in a nursing home, that out of done. But he found God. He found peace. He found joy. He never had a new, another new Oldsmobile. He never had a nice saddle horse. But he did have peace, and he got a little three-room apartment. He paid $20 a month for it because God loved him. And my friends, you have to decide in your life, you run into people that, that can I've given away lots of money. That yours, Sister Sue could testify to this as she would. That when I was entering past this church, people come by you all the time. We didn't have very much money to give anybody, but I hope one day we'll have a lot of money in the church. We can just hand some money to the people. And I've given many people money that, I, that probably didn't deserve it. But every time I think about people that come in wanting money, I think about Mr. Two and my old poor grandmother up in Virginia. And we had to open our hearts. Someone said, well, his, his lifestyle brought him. That's the truth. It did. That'd be true. But are we to set on judgment on him or on her or someone else because of their lifestyle? Or we share Jesus with them and share joy and peace and give them a little something to help them along life's way? Every man and woman in his lifetime, they have a turning point. We go back and study great people in the Bible. You study men like Jacob. Jacob did a lot of things wrong. He did some things right. God blessed him, prospered him. But when he really come to himself, really, was at Penal when he was praying, fixing to meet Esau. If you read Genesis 30, 32, he was praying. He said to the man who was wrestling him all night, he said, I will not let you go until you bless me. I've got to meet my brother and he's mad at me. I will not let you go. So he blessed Jacob and touched his thigh and gave him a limp. He limped out of there and changed his walk and changed his talk. But he met his brother. When he met his brother, because he had faith in God and trust in God and the love of God in his heart, they fell in each other's arms and, and he, Esau loved him. He wasn't mad at him. He just wanted to see him. And my friends, you, go, you can go back in the Bible and see many men in the Bible. Their turning point was when they recognized who they were, nothing. God was everything. Joseph is Jacob's son. He was a dreamer boy and prophesied about a lot of stuff going to happen. But when he really came to himself after he spent 13 years in prison because part of his life lied on him. But when he went into the sea Pharaoh, he says these beautiful words he spoke in Genesis 14, 40, 16. He said, the Lord will give the interpretation. He gave God the credit. He didn't take any credit. He gave God the credit. The Lord will give the interpretation. And all of a sudden he was changed from a prisoner to the prime minister because he recognized that God had put him there. I look at the life of 
Moses. Moses was picking up out of the river as a little boy and saved, raised in Pharaoh's court and educated, great education, smart man, went out and killed an Egyptian when he was 40 years old and had to flee for his life. But about 40 years later, after being out there in the desert raising sheep and cattle, he came to himself at the burning bush. He turned aside and saw the bush burning. And God said to him, you go back to Pharaoh, I want these people released. I've heard their cries. I've seen their affliction. I want you to go back and deliver them. I'd like to use you, Moses. And my friends, this morning, when God gives you opportunity to do something for a human being that's hurting and suffering, been afflicted, take advantage of that. God could use somebody else. But he wants to use you. And Moses went back, and Moses became a great and marvelous leader because he recognized he had to have God. I look in the Bible, and I see those of us who want eternal life. We see Elijah, oh, the old man, oh, they've been a famine three years, a terrible time in the country. He went, a widow woman came to see him in 1 Kings 17 and said, I'm fixing to die. I have just a little bit of bread, a little bit of oil. Elijah said to her, you go back and make three little cakes and bring me one of them first, and you'll never run out of oil. You'll never run out of bread. Put God first, he said. Take care of me. And she did. And she was very prosperous in a wonderful way. And my friends, I want to say to you this morning, if we can rest in God, hear the voice of God, do the will of God, We'll move into 209 in a great and marvelous year. I thought as I was reading over these notes last night and praying between 10 and, 10 and 12 o'clock. There's two things all of us in this church need this morning. Every one of us. One, we need forgiveness. Forgiveness for things we have done or things we did not do we should have done. Number one. And number two, we need to be loved. All of us need to be loved. There's not a one of you this morning in this church that doesn't need to have someone to love you and someone to care for you and someone to be your friend. We need forgiveness. I'm sure I've failed God many times in 208, more than I want to list. And I'm sure I need his forgiveness. And I'm sure this morning I know I need his love. Because without his love and his mercy and his grace, I'd be doomed. So would you. All these great men, they came to the crossroad of life. They came to the place. Just like my poor friend up in Dunn. He came to the place of his life. He needed God. And he said to me, standing in that stable, Brother Altman, I need God. At one time, he was a leader in the church, a deacon out there, giving big money to the Stony Run Church, helping him in all their programs. But his drinking and his gambling and all the things come to him brought him to poverty. Poverty stricken. But Jesus Christ picked him up and he loved him just like he loved the prodigal son. We all ought to read real often the prodigal son, 15 Luke. I'll read it frequently. How the father waited for him to come home. Trust in God, waiting for him to come home. That's a wonderful thing I say to many people, pray for their children. 
your son and your daughter will come home. They say, how do you know, Pastor Altman? How do you know, Dr. Altman? They know the way home. That's how I know. They know the way home. They know the way home. And the Holy Spirit is going to get them and going to arrest them and going to bring them home. He'll do that. They know the way home. When you raise your children properly and dedicate them to the Lord and keep them in the church and Sunday school, they know the way home. And sometime in a pig pen or sometime in a mule stable or sometime anywhere they may be, they'll come. And God will bless them. As we close this service out, the last service of this year in this church, I hope today all of us will think soberly and sincerely we'll rest in God. We'll give our lives to the Lord and we won't try to do it by ourselves. This is a great church. We're going to have a great and marvelous year because we've got a great pastor and a great pastor's wife. And he's going to help us and we're going to let him lead us and guide us. And we're going to find what we need in God. And I would ask you this morning before you leave, I would love for us to gather around the altar. Would somebody come and play the piano for us, please? Who's playing the piano? Pastor Mark? She's coming. I don't see her. Oh, she's coming.